today. Like I said last week, we are going to start a marriage series today entitled Making Marriage Work. And the uh, reason is, is, you know, a lot of you have written, you, you write in your, your um, register. register, I'm thinking booklet. You, you write in your register for prayer. Hey, pray for our marriages. Pray for our marriage. Pray for our marriage. You don't give any details. So a lot of times, you know, there's a couple of you who say, hey, we're going through some troubled times. And, but for a lot of times, it's just pray for our marriages, strengthen them, whatever. And that's great. We want to be praying for our marriages. But I just thought, hey, let's do a marriage series. And when I talk about making, you know, you know, making marriage work, I'm talking about building a good marriage. All right, having a strong marriage, a healthy marriage, a vibrant marriage, a marriage that, that's alive, a marriage that is more than you just being roommates. All right, there's a lot of people married 20, 30, 40, 50 years or more, and they're pretty much just roommates. Okay, they coexist. Marriage is so much more than that, and God has a, a word for us in that. And so, um, we're, we're going to look at making marriage work over the next um, few weeks. And today, I want to look at um, the blueprint, all right? Look at the blueprint of God's word and what he has to say about marriage. And so let me read the text that we're going to be in primarily today. We're going to be going through the first six verses, but let me read verses four through six, because this is where we're going to be um, planting our feet today. Look at what Jesus says. He says, or look at verse three, I'm sorry. The Pharisees came up to him and tested him and asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And Jesus answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you that it is truth. It is the blueprint for life, for godliness, and Lord, how to build our marriages, how to make marriage work. And Lord, if we will follow the blueprint, we can make our marriages work and we can build a great marriage. And Lord, I just pray now today that you, Holy Spirit, would just speak to our hearts, challenge them, challenge what we think, any presuppositions we have about marriage, Lord, let it come in line with your word. Lord, change our hearts, convict them, but, Lord, challenge our wills on anything we need to have challenged today about our marriages. And so, Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that we can learn from it. We just ask your blessing in this time, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, today I want to look at what does Jesus have to say about marriage. And um, all I know is if, Je if Jesus says things about marriage, maybe we should pay attention to what he has to say. And so let's look, at a, let's look at a few things about what Jesus has to say about marriage. And here's the first thing. Marriage is an informational built union. It is an informational built union. So starting in verse 1, let's get some context of where, what's going on here. It says, now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he had just got done teaching a bunch of stuff. And he's in, he's in this place called Galilee, which is northern, northern Israel. If you remember, as you remember, we've been going through the book of John, and we have seen Jesus go up and down Israel a lot. He's in northern Israel, which is Galilee. And it says after he set, taught these things, he went from northern Israel down to southern Israel, which was Judea. All right. So he had been teaching people. Now he's moved again, 
And now he's back down in southern Israel, Judea. It says large crowds followed him and he's healing people. But in verse 3, it says the Pharisees came up to him. Whenever the Pharisees came to Jesus, you can just bank on it. It's going nowhere good really fast, okay? The Pharisees only had one purpose of showing up to Jesus, and it was always to try to catch him in something. They always wanted to find out, you know what, you're saying a lot of stuff. And there's no way you can always be telling the right thing, saying the right thing, and always speaking truth. So let's catch him in something. Then that way we can really just, you know, count him off, prove to the people he's a false teacher. So the Pharisees come up to him and they, they're like, okay, let, let's, we've, we've tried this, we've talked about this, let's try to catch him in the, the concept and the idea of marriage and divorce. And so the, these, these Pharisees come to him and they say, hey, Jesus, um, is it lawful to divorce your wife for any cause? Well, that's really going out there. For anything, Jesus, can I divorce my wife for any reason? If she burns the toast, can I divorce her? Because now that we, we think that's funny and read, but back in Jesus' time, that was legit. If you as a wife, because you got to remember, back in Jesus' time, wives, women, you were a second-class citizen. A lot like what you see in Iran and in Afghanistan, women are considered second-class citizens. That's the way it was in Jesus' time. And so these Pharisees came and said, hey, I want to be able to divorce my wife or these people want to be able to divorce their wife for any reason. What are they? And what they were trying to do was catch him because the Jewish law, I got to remember, back in Moses' time, Moses was their number one guy. And Moses wrote the law and, he's, and there's some stuff about marriage in there. But Moses gave permission for divorce. And the reason is, and you'll see that as if you go farther down in the text, and the reason is, is that the people's hearts got hard. God gave some rules for marriage, but people were like, eh, don't want to do it. And they were doing things because they just, and, and it was just like, Moses was like, okay, I'm, I can't put up, and he allowed it. So he's trying to catch, these guys are trying to catch Jesus in that. They're like, let's see what he has to say, because if he says something contrary to Moses, there we go. He's a false teacher. Well, let's see what Jesus has to say. And right there in, in verse 4, he says, have you not read? Now, let's stop there. That's the point, okay? He's like, what information are you all getting? Where are you getting your information from? He's like, I'm telling you, marriage is an informational thing that's built on, all right? And he's like, um... What have you read? Now, you got to understand, Jesus saying that to the Pharisees would have been a slap to their face. Because the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were they prided themselves in their knowledge of the law. They prided themselves in, the, in what we consider the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They prided themselves in knowing that. So Jesus is basically saying, okay, you all don't know what you're talking about. Where are you getting your information? Okay. Kind of think of it this way. Imagine a building being built. All right. Carpenters, I'm, I'm, I'm in your vein right now. Any kind of building being built. And, you know, in my mind, I'm always kind of thinking of a skyscraper, a really big skyscraper being built. And, and before one 
thing is dug, before one brick is laid, before one pillar is put, anything, there's something that is created before anything. Carpenters, what's, what's created? A blueprint. Okay? A blueprint by an architect. Someone who has gone to school, someone who is, is, is a, a, an expert in this, writes up a blueprint, creates a blueprint, and he gives it to the contractors, to the foremen, to the people who will be working. And he's like, here's the blueprint on how to build this 100-story skyscraper. Follow the blueprint. You will build this thing. Okay? Now, here's the thing. People who are builders... They can look at the blueprint and they have a decision to make, don't they? They can do one of three things. They can look at the blueprint and go, eh, I think I can do better. And they look at themselves and go, well, this is how I think I would build it. This is thing, I'm going to build it this way and I'm going to do it my way. All in favor, that's a good way? No, okay? Because most people just in their own sense, probably could not build a 100-story skyscraper just be on their own knowledge. But let's say the builder's like, you know what? I'm going to go talk to my good friend Earl. Earl's a really smart guy, and I think he could build this thing. Or I'm going to go down to my local Kiwanis club, and I'm going to gather some people together. Hey, guys, tell me. What do you think? How should we build this building? Let's all put our heads together, and we can build this building. All in favor? That's a good idea? No. The good idea is, is that the foremans, the workers, take the blueprint that the architect created and they look at the blueprint and they go, here's how we build this thing. That's the information builders are getting. They receive the information of the blueprint and they put the information of the blueprint into practice and they are able to build this 100-story skyscraper. Marriage is no different because marriage doesn't just happen. Working a marriage, building a marriage does not just happen. It takes information to build it, to build it well, to build it where it's good. To make your marriage work well, you've got to have right information. So you have one of three ways to get your information. One is self. You can go, well, you know what? I think this is how, my, I, I think this is how marriage should go. And I'm going to do marriage the way I want. I'm going to do marriage according to my plan, according to what. And, and that can go okay. But how many of you know, sometimes when you do marriage on your own terms, um, you can have a conflict of interest. Because the husband's going to do it his way. The wife's going to do it his way. You're not talking because you're going to do, you're going to do marriage according to you. That's not going to go and work very well for very long. Or... You can get your information to build your marriage according to the culture. Well, this is what the culture says. This is what the culture believes. This is what the culture teaches. This is how the culture says, here's how you build your marriage. And so as we can take what the culture says, and we can also put it into practice. But how many of you know the culture says a lot of different things? Here's what, how marriage should look like. Here's how you do your marriage. Here's, and there's all kinds of information you can gather from the culture. Third... Lee, you can get your information from the blueprint. That's what Jesus is saying here. These guys are asking him about divorce, about marriage. And he's like, have you not read? Have you not looked at the blueprint? Here's the blueprint. If you will follow the blueprint, um, you'll do okay. 
So we have a blueprint. It is God's word. And God's word is a very, it's a blueprint on how to build a marriage, how to make marriage work. And so the first thing we see is that Jesus is saying, you know what? Um, build it according to the blueprint. You know, the culture is telling us a lot about marriage. But the reality is, as Christians, we got to make a decision. What information am I going to build? What am I going to build it on? Myself, the culture, or the blueprint? I'm standing before you as a pastor, as the elders of this church, and I hope as a church, we've all made the decision to say we're going to follow the blueprint. Because I believe the blueprint is the truth. You see, here's the reality. God is, he's written a word. He's written a book. He's given us a word of truth. And as believers, as a church, we've got to follow the blueprint. And, and so we need to put the practice of the blueprint into play. We need to practice this thing in our marriages. Take what the blueprint says about our marriages. Apply that blueprint to our marriages. And guess what happens? We start to make marriage work. And we start to build good marriages. And so the first thing Jesus is talking about and what we're going to talk about today and through this series is building our marriages, making marriage work according to the blueprint. All in favor for the blueprint? That's where we're going. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He says, look at the blueprint. Here's the second thing Jesus says about marriage, and it's this. Marriage is a God-created union. It's an informational-built union, and it is a God-created union. Again, look at verse 4. He says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? He who created them. He's talking about the fact that um, God created this thing. From the very beginning of time during creation, one of the things God creates is marriage. Think about that for a moment. If you go back to Genesis 1, because that's where Jesus is going here. He's going back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Isn't it amazing that even Jesus goes back to Genesis? And he's, he's looking at these guys and he's like, have you not read? Basically he's saying, have you read the book of Genesis? Because if you would have read the book of Genesis, you know what's going on here. And so he goes back to Genesis. And in Genesis 1, you see the creation account. You see God creating everything. And he says, and God said, boom. And God said, he, he, he creates the lights. He creates the heavens. He creates everything on the earth. He creates the vegetation. He creates the trees. He creates all the birds. He creates everything swimming in the ocean. He creates, creates everything. And on the last day of creation, it says that he creates all the animals. And the last final creation, he creates what? Man or humanity. He creates us, okay? And when he creates us, here's what it says in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. It says, so God created man in his own image. The word man doesn't necessarily mean Adam. It means humanity, mankind. 
God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. That, loved ones, is the first marriage. In creation, the upheaval of everything being created, and God's creating everything. And he comes to the final thing. He creates mankind. He creates Adam and Eve. And he says, be fruitful and multiply. I said and go, really? That's important? Is you got to create the marriage? And no, to God it was. He creates everything. And he creates he creates Adam out of the dirt, and he creates Eve from the rib, and he brings them together. If you read Genesis chapter 2, it's more detailed. And he brings Adam and Eve together for the first time. And this is where Jesus is going. That marriage is a created thing that God, out of all of his creation, creates Adam and Eve and the beautifulness of it. He brings them together, and he says, now. You two, here's what I want you to do. The first marriage. You see, marriage is not designed and created out of the, the, the mind and the will of man. Creation, I mean, marriage is created out of the design and will and mind of God. It was with God before Adam and Eve ever was. It wasn't like God created Adam and Eve and went, well, I got to figure out something to do with these two. He already had a plan. He creates Adam and he's like, well, it's not good for Adam to be alive. I'm, I'm going to create a helper for him. Boom. And now he's like, now he already knew what he was going to tell him. He already knew the plan. Now you two are coming together. You two are one. You two multiply. You two get this. He's creating the first marriage. And that's what Jesus is saying to these guys. He's like, haven't you heard? Haven't you read? Where's your information coming from? I'm telling you, from the very beginning, in the very beginning hours of this thing, God creates marriage. So, marriage, it's an informational built union. It is a God-created union. Thirdly, marriage is an exclusive union. It is an exclusive union. Now, one thing we as humans do very well is um, from the very beginning of time, from the beginning of creation, one thing we have um, excelled in is uh, doing life according to us, according to our way, our plan, my way. God has always said, hey, hey, uh, guys, I have a way to go. Follow it. And we're like, mm, no, rather not. And we follow a different way. We go another way. God says, hey, I've given you a blueprint for life. If you will follow it, you will do well. And what do we do? No, don't want to do it. God's like, I've given you a blueprint for marriage. And what do we say? We got a better way. Let's redesign it. Let's rethink it. Let's redo it. Let's rebuild it. And so we take what God says and we kind of throw it out the window and we reshape it, we replan it, we want to redo it. And the reality is, this point is a clash between the information of the culture, 
what the culture is saying, what the culture is believing, what the culture is teaching, and what God says, and what God's word teaches. It is a clash. Because Jesus is going to show us, and he is showing these people, and it shows us that marriage is an exclusive union. Again, verse 4. Jesus says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. There are two important things in that verse that we need to see. One is that in the beginning, God created two sexes, male and female. And God also created this institution of marriage, and he created it where it would be between exclusively between a man and a woman. Marriage is not intended. It was not created. It was never God's intention to have marriage between two men or two women. It was never intended to be between multiple men and one woman or multiple women and one man, like polygamy. Now, I know people will say, but you see polygamy in the Old Testament. Again, you've got to remember, um, just because men do it doesn't mean it's God's design. Just because men say, well, this is how we're going to live doesn't mean God orchestrated it. Okay, There's a lot of things that God says do and don't, and men say, I will and I don't care. And so, yeah, you will read about polygamy in the Old Testament, but that doesn't mean that it is designed and willed and fashioned by God. It is still man and man's hard heart doing what man chooses to do. But what we see here is that Jesus is, is showing the exclusivity of marriage. One man, one woman. And that goes contrary and clashes with the culture. Okay, that's not what the culture says. The culture is saying the blueprint, the blueprint is wrong. We must redesign the blueprint. We must take the blueprint, crumble it up, throw it out. Let's rebuild and build how we think. And so the culture is saying this is what marriage should look like. This is what marriage should be. And marriage should be, it should include anybody and everybody. Whoever wants to be married should be okay. But that's not the real problem. The real problem is not what the culture is saying. The real problem is not what the culture is believing. The real problem is not what the culture is teaching and what they want to do. That is not the real problem. The real problem, the real issue is the church. Because what is happening is you have Christians, churches, and denominations agreeing with the culture and saying the blueprint is wrong. And we have Christians and churches and denominations taking the blueprint. The culture is saying that it's outdated and needs to be rewritten. And churches are agreeing with it. Churches are saying the blueprint must be wrong. So churches, Christians, and denominations are now agreeing with the culture. And what is happening is that churches, Christians, and denominations are now, especially churches and denominations, are now adjusting for marriage policies that are in line with what the culture says instead of what the word of God says. 
loved one, listen to me. This is why, and Paula hit it on the nailhead, the enemy is doing whatever he can to take you and your children away from God. And he is doing it successfully. That is why it is so important that you, as a believer, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you profess to be a Christian, you have got to take a stand. And you have got to have such a strong conviction that the word of God is the word of God. You can't be waffling. Because the moment you start to waffle, the enemy has you. You are like that. The enemy is like the Venus flytrap. And the little bug gets in there and he's like, I'm not sure. That quick. And the enemy will get you if you waffle. The moment you think, oh, maybe the Bible. Boom. He's got you. You have got to have a conviction. This is truth. And we're going to see that when we get to John 17. And Jesus says, your word is truth. You've got to have that conviction in our world today. You can't waffle. You can't be like, well, I have one foot over here. One. No, you can't. You've got to take a stand. And you've got to come to the belief and understand that, as Jesus says, that marriage is an exclusive union between one man and one woman. Here's the fifth thing that he says about marriage. And it's this. Marriage is a deliberate union. It's a deliberate union. Look at verse 5. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Hold, leave mom and dad and hold fast to your wife. The NIV, um, the ESV says hold fast. The the New American Standard says join to your wife. The NIV says united to your wife. Those of you who are King James uh, steadfast people, cleave to your wife. So the idea is that it's leaving and cleaving, all right? Um, leaving and holding, leaving and joining. But, but the idea is what Jesus is saying here. There's got to be a deliberate break. That when you get married, husband and wife come together. Husband and wife rela relationship, your marriage becomes the dominant primary relationship in your life and for some of you this may hurt hurt to hear above all other family relationships okay your relationship god god has brought husband and wife together so you can have a shared common life together and that shared common life together supersedes my relationship with my parents. It supersedes my relationship with my kids. You got to get this. And here's why. Let's, start, let's first start talk about the relationship of parents. My relationship with my wife, my relationship with my husband has got to be the number one priority in my life. It's got to be the number one relationship in my life. My primary relationship even above the relationship with my mom and dad. That relationship with my mom and dad has got to be, it's not severed, but it's a deliberate disconnection. Because now, 
Because when you're single, mom and dad are the, is the primary relationship. Where if I have a problem, I can go to mom and dad. If I have, need to get some advice, I go to mom and dad. If I have an issue, I can go to mom and dad. But once I get married, guess who becomes the problem? Solution problem. The, 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 well, the, they can become the problem, but um, <laughs> should be the, 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 the person who helps solve the problem is my spouse. My spouse becomes the, the, the primary relationship. So what happens is if I have a problem, I should be going to my spouse. If, if my spouse is the problem, then we've got an issue. But, um, the, the, but the idea is if, I'm, if I need to talk, I talk to my spouse. But what happens is if, if, a, a, if, if a, a husband or if the wife isn't willing to disconnect, to make a deliberate disconnection with my parents, what can happen is... Um, my primary relationship is, is divided because I have partial uh, reliance and dependence upon my, my spouse, but I still have reliance and dependence upon my parents. So if I have an issue, and this, this is real, there sometimes a, a husband or a wife, if I have an issue, I don't talk to my spouse, I talk to my mom or dad. If I, if I need advice, I don't talk to my spouse. I talk to my mom or my dad. And, and what happens is um, they be, they're still my primary my reliance. My, I, I'm going to rely on them. Well, then my spouse starts, they, they'll feel that. The tension will rise. Now, for those of you who've been married 30, 40, 50 or more years, hopefully that's not an issue anymore. Okay, if you're still if you've been married for 40, 50 years and you're still calling mom and dad over your spouse, we need to talk. But for those of you who've been married for a couple years, five years, maybe 10 years, this can still be an issue. This can still be an issue where even after 10 years of marriage, you would still call your mom more than your spouse. You'll call your dad and get advice from him versus your spouse got to cut that off. That doesn't mean you don't have a relationship with your parents. Still have a great relationship with your parents, but they cannot be the primary source anymore. They can't be your primary reliance. Your spouse has got to be. You leave your parents and you are joined together with your spouse. So if you're, if you're in that, that early to 10, maybe 15 years, and you still see that in your marital relationship, you need to work on that. You need to deliberately cut that off because marriage is a deliberate union between husband and wife now, not your parents. Now, let's talk about kids for a second. Even though kids are not in the, the place yet because Jesus is quoting Genesis before any kids were around. But how many of you know kids can be also become the primary relationship? And that can be very damaging. And what happens is, and so mom and dads, listen to me. You're living in a chaotic world, all right? And your kids are going to want to be involved in everything and anything. A lot of us parents do it. And, and for what happens is, um, you know, you're, if number how, however many kids you have for the next 17, 18, 20, 22 years, life is about the kids. Because they're going to be going through elementary school, junior high, high school, college, whatever it is. And what happens is, Man, we're, we're involved in golf meets and track meets and football games and, and band concerts and, and whatever. Man, we're going everywhere. Life becomes about the kids. And the more kids you have, the more goings you're going. And, and, and here's what happens. 
your energy is going so much for the kids, your time is for the kids, your, your, your primary responsibility, your brain becomes, it's about the kids. So here's the, here's the relationship between husband and wife. Separates. You're not even realizing it. Do you want to know when you realize it? When your last kid leaves the house. There are no more football games. There are no more baseball games. There are no more softball games. There are, are no more band concerts. There's no more spelling bee concerts. There's nothing. Your last kid is gone. And now you're sitting at home and you're looking at each other and like, I don't even know you. Because you have been, you spent no time with one another. So those of you with small kids, guess what you've got to do? Work on your relationship. You've got to date. Okay, I'm telling you, my kid, you talked to Breck. You were like, Breck, mom, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'd have me go, I'm going to grandma and grandpa's tonight. Mom and dad got to go out. Yes, you are kicking you to the curb. <laughs> and we, we, we weren't ashamed about it. It's, it's our time. We're going on a date. And we worked on our time together. And when Breck, our youngest, left the house, we didn't miss a beat. We kept going. And one of the things that Paul and I talk about is when the kids were small, we built an above-ground swimming pool, primarily for them. They got older. They stopped swimming in it, so we kept swimming in it. It's like, I spent too much money to throw this thing away. I'm using it. And uh, when Breck left the house, you know, I remember we were in Lowe's one day, and we met a couple from Alpha, and they were the same kind of age kids as us, same number of kids, and or had one more, but their kids were getting ready to get out of the house. And, and uh, we were talking to them, and, and I said, hey, I saw you guys are tearing down your pool. Like, yeah, we, kids are leaving. We don't need it anymore. Paul and I are like, not us, man. No kids. We're still swimming. But what we have discovered, and we said this yesterday, our pool time and, and our 30th anniversary is in a month. We still love being together in that pool because it's a bonding time. So I'm going to just say to you guys, if you don't have a pool, <laughs> go buy a pool. You two, you've been married for about a year and a half. Go buy a pool. I'm telling you, relational builder. Trust me. But, but the thing is, though, when our youngest left, our relationship didn't miss a beat. But there are so many, because you hear about it. People who've been married for 25 years get divorced because they have nothing in common. Because life was all about the kids. If you've got kids, you've got to make sure you are you build your relationship. Be intentional. You've got to make sure it's a deliberate union. And then lastly, the last thing Jesus says about marriage is this. Marriage is a bonded union. It's a bonded union. So again, verse 5. He says, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What Jesus is, is, is showing us here, he's talking about being joined together, holding fast, cleaving to your wife, cleaving to your husband, holding fast to him. That God created this union between husband and wife, and it is to be permanent unbreakable, intentional. It needs to be intimate. It's a sharing of life together. It is a bond, okay? It's like, it's like the idea of, of becoming one flesh is like if you, and I, I've used this illustration, if you take two two-by-fours 
and you put some kind of all-purpose super glue, never, this can never come apart, and you two glue those two boards together, no matter, whatever you do, they're not coming together just up separate like that. They are ripped apart, okay? Splintered, it's, they're not two two-by-fours anymore. That's the kind of relationship Jesus is saying marriage is to be. This, this intentional, close, bonded, glued together, permanent, till death do you part relationship. All right? He's talking about a kind of relationship that, man, you love one another. Not just, oh, I love you, honey, but you love one another. You love spending time with one another. You, 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 you feed off of one another. You encourage one another. You grow with one another. You, you long to be together. I'm telling you, there are people who've been married for 40 years and they don't long to be together. The sad reality is this, and, and, it's, and it's in the church. Half of all marriages still end in divorce. And that's as prevalent in the church. You have men, and, and now even women, men build their man caves and women build, build their she sheds, and it's only for one purpose. I don't want to be with him or her. So a, a guy has his man cave so he can play his video games and be online with his buddies. Why do I need a man cave? Because it's only about I'm trying to get out of town. And what happens is the man's in his man cave or the woman's in her, her she shed. And, and now you have a man who's like, well, my wife doesn't care, so I can, I'm, I'm going to avoid her. And then the, the man's in his, his uh, cave. And, well, you know what? I, then, then she feels like I'm done. It's a mess. That's not, supposed to, that's not marriage. Marriage is supposed to be this thing that God looks at and it's like, I created that thing. And, and, and having a, a, a wonderful, strong, vibrant, passionate, loving, growing marriage just isn't for the newlyweds in five years. It should be the couple that's been married for 30, 40, 50 or more years that you still look at each other. I'm telling you, like I said, me and Paul have been married for now coming up on 30 years. From Some of you guys, you blow us out of the water. All right. But I'm telling you, we still... When she goes to work, I'm divided. We still, when we come together, when she comes home from work, we're like, I missed you today. We still long for each other through the day. I hope that's you. I don't say that to brag, but I just say that. But that's the kind of relationship God wants you to have. And you can have that if you follow the blueprint. Now, trust me, me, me and Paul, we've had some issues. And we've had issues through the years, and I'm sure a lot of you have, all right? And some of you, you can get up here and give your testimony and go, Jim, that's us. This is us right here, boy. Man, we've got this marriage going on. But some of you are looking at me going, Jim, I want that. We don't have that. But you can. We're going to follow the blueprint for the next few weeks. We're going to see what God has to say. And my goal is, is that through his word, through his prayer, through prayer and through the Holy Spirit, that you'll start to make changes if need be in your relationship with your husband or your wife. And you'll start to realize how precious it is. And if you've been married for 20, the next 20 or more will be even better. You've been married for five, and you think it's been pretty sweet, man, let it be sweet for the next 45. No matter how long you've been married, don't let the first half 
or first whatever be like, well, this is just what it is. No, if it's been great, let it continue to be great. If it hasn't been so great, it can be. But it has to be by the blueprint. And that's where we're going to go by. I wanted to have a little fun with this today. I wanted to see where we are in, in marital years today. So um, my first one is this. Who's, I want to know who's been married the fewest years. Um, who's been married less than five years in here? Less than five years. Oh, we got a few. We got a few. Okay. Um, I got four years. I got four years. Four? So, okay, let's do this. Who's been married? Um, how long you been married? Four years. Two, 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 two. Where you at? How many? One year. Um, remind me, because I know I was there. <laughs> I know I think it was summertime. The fourth next week. Oh my gosh. You guys might you might be winning two prizes today. Okay, so they are at they are at just coming up on a year. So um, that is for you for the fewest years, Mary. Um, let's go now the, the the verse the reverse the most years. Let's start with um, forty five. Who's been married, married married at least forty five years? Okay, let's go fifty five. At least fifty five years. And it's like I'm gonna wake. This reminds me of a high jumper when I was in. And, and he was like he's like five foot. No, nope, I'm not even gonna try that. Six foot, nope, don't even try that. I'm like, dude, you got to jump sometimes. She's like, no, nope, I'm not even going to try that yet. So um, 55 years, raise your hands. Okay, we got 55, 55. Let's go, let's, uh, let's go 60. Raise your hands for 60 years. Edna, you got to raise your hands sometime. How long have you been married, hon? 72 years. Can anybody beat 72 years? No 73s. All right, so Edna... Hopefully you guys can enjoy this. I know your husband is still getting better from his fall, but congratulations on 72 years. All right. I thought, I thought Paul and I were going to win this, at least at you know, 24 days. I guess not. And so obviously you guys are down to four days. So what I'm talking about is, who is to their, who's closest to their anniversary? So you guys are four days away from your anniversary. Who else? Yeah. Shut up, it is not. All right, so sorry guys, I thought you were gonna be double winners, but you're not. So so um, you guys get to have that for the closest date. You know, that's a lot of fun. Wait a minute, I just had a brilliant idea. Come, come here. I need I need help with this for us. I just had a brilliant idea. Devon, I need you to help me with this. Will you help me move this over over there for a second? Yeah, I bet I just had a brilliant idea. This is going to be awesome. Okay, that's good. Okay. Since it's your guys' anniversary, come up here. Let's, let's, let's renew your vows today. Come on. Okay. Now I've, I've, got, to, I've got to be a good pastor. I did not just come up with that. Harold. So, Harold set this up a, a couple months ago, and and even last week he was like, 
how is this going to work? Because he was really concerned that I was going to mess this up. And so I'm like, dude, I've got this, man. I know how it's going to work. So I need you two to come up here. And I need you to act like this is your first wedding day. So I need you to come here, stand and hold hands. And I got, the, I got this microphone here because hopefully people online will be able to hear you. So, so get a little closer. Speak into the mic. So, um, so this, is, this is your day. All right? Now, do we, have, do we have all the family in? You guys all set and ready? All right. So Hope and Harold, 40 years ago today, you began your life together and you made the first time commitment to say, I do, to come together. <laughs> See, we had time to do this thing. We had time. Yeah, go ahead and get rid of that. Sorry, online folks. We've been planning this. He and I have been talking. 